Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about living as a sojourner on earth. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about something that you may not know about. That is that our church has an app. On the app, you can easily access creekside.me, our central hub. You can see the upcoming events. You can read blog posts, look at pictures, a lot of stuff. But most importantly to you who listen to these sermons, you can easily access all of our sermons. So if you want a quick and easy way to get this content, just download our app. You can search on the Google Play Store or the iOS App Store, Creekside Bible Church, and you'll find it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon helps you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So, uh, my wife is sick today. She woke me up about 10 minutes before the alarm went off saying, can you get a bowl, please? Never the words you want to hear when you're waking up. Now it's followed by me going downstairs, getting a bowl, and coming back up to the words, it's too late. Um, <laughs> don't tell her I told you. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I say that because life is, is, uh, life, is life, right? And we're just we're just trying to get by most of the time and we, we we face you know things that are unexpected we face even you know perhaps more to the point we face normal and regular and we have all of these responsibilities that we must take care of some each day some each week you just have all these things we prayed this morning I prayed and I think it's because I was you know, flustered before we started church. Uh, just because I came, I dropped the trailer off, I got a hold of Drew, said, hey, you need to do more work this morning. Drove back home, got my kids dressed. I'm always flustered when I'm doing that. Uh, check out my daughter's outfit today. I always let her pick her outfit. Um, and, and then I came back and then it's like, oh, there's still some things to do. And, and, and so just when we were about to start, it was like, all right, we have our, our prayer time. And, and, and one of the things I prayed about, just because it was, it was, you know, specific to me, I guess, is that even when we're coming to church, like, you know, there's arguments with your spouse and you're trying to get your kids ready and trying to get out of the door on time and you forgot something at home and all these things, right? And and because of, like, the speed of life and the weight of life, like how many responsibilities we have, uh, what life does to me, and I, I won't speak to you, but what it does to me is I can, I can get into this trap and the trap is that I'm just living to get by without really any great purpose and without really thinking about what I want to accomplish or I should be wanting to accomplish and uh, and as you could guess that has huge implications for for what we do spiritually and how we approach things spiritually perhaps if I wasn't a Christian I would be okay with getting by but I, I believe, this is what we've been talking about in this series, that my citizenship is transferred from earth, where getting by is just what you do, to heaven, where I now have this, this kind of, well, big, not kind of, this big purpose to glorify God, and as we saw last week, to be his, his place and, and presence on earth, to show people what God is like and what he has done for them and those types of things. And, and, and out of that, I, I just... I feel like I, I should be living a life of intentionality. Um, I should be living a life of purpose. I should be striving for something more than you know, cleaning puke and getting through each and every day. 
And, and I think that with all the stuff we have going on, it doesn't it seem, I mean, I, I sound like such an old guy when I say things like this, but it seems like more and more every year our lives go faster and faster like the pace that we that we're trying to live at is just going up and up and up i've told you about how i spent a couple of months in southeast idaho doing missionary work i know you're thinking like there's are there people to do missionary work with there but i i did and and one of the things that was that was weird uh, hard to uh, acclimate myself to was simply just the pace of life was so much slower. They, they pride themselves, these are their words, not mine, in being about 10 years behind. And, and it felt about like, you know, 10 years ago because the pace of life is, is picking up so rapidly, it seems like. And in all of that, we, we forget we forget about the greater purposes. And, and what's sad about that is that I think all of us want to feel, want to believe that we are living a life that is important and purposeful, a life that matters. But, but I think that as, as the pace of life picks up, people feel less and less like they're doing anything that matters. My way off? I don't know. But it, it seems that way to me. And in our passage of scripture today, man, it's, it's so good. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture in all the Bible. I, I love the book of 1 Peter. If you've been around since I was a youth pastor, we spent so long looking at the book of 1 Peter. Uh, if I had to pick one book to take with me to a deserted island, it would not be Romans like a lot of people would say. It would definitely be 1 Peter. Uh, and, and, and this passage in the second chapter of 1 Peter, it says so much about living a life that really and truly matters and it says it within the context of being a citizen of heaven and, and so today we're going to look at that passage but before we do let me tell you about first peter and uh this is going to be the biggest uh summary i'm going to boil this down basically here's what happens in first peter he says here's all the things that you have as a christian what he spends about the first 12 verses doing look how great it is to be a christian and then out of that he says after verse 113 he says look because of what you have here's what you should do and from 113 to chapter 2 verse 9 the the verse before what we're going to look at today he speaks in generalities and again, I'm now speaking in generalities, but he speaks in kind of these general terms about how we should respond to all the things we have as Christians. And then in verse 210, chapter two, verse 10, the, the verse we're going to look at today, Peter really flips to become more specific. And the rest of the book of First Peter is like really specific on how to deal with certain relationships and what you ought to do with the government and things like that. And so as we approach this today, know that, that verse 11, I'm sorry, I said verse 10, but verse 11, where we're going to start, is this, is this shift from the general to the specific about how we should live because we have become Christians. And here's what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles Two, and we'll get to the two later. And, and, and here's what's important about verse 11. And I, I love this about Peter and the way he, he writes this book. Uh, he, he says something that translates you know, more literally, uh, perhaps more clearly for our understanding. I beg you as those whom I love. 
And, and what, I what I love about Peter and how he writes the book of 1 Peter, one of the things I love about it is that he writes very pastorally. Like you can tell he really cares about these people. And sometimes we have this view of the Bible and, 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 and we see it in this, this kind of just unemotional set of rules kind of way. Like these guys that didn't know these people said, here's the things you need to know about Jesus and here's how you should live your life. And that's really cold, right? Like why would I want to listen to somebody that doesn't really care about me? Don't you feel that in your own relationships? Like if somebody gives you advice and you don't have a clue if they like you or love you or care about you or anything like that, then it's like, shut up, you know? But if, you, if somebody approaches you and you know they really care about you, they really love you, they really have your best interest in mind, even if you don't think the advice is good or if the advice was unsolicited, then you still think like, okay, like they care about me. And, and Peter writes this book to these churches that he seemingly has a, a deep and passionate love for. And he, he looks at them here in verse 11, and he's like, my dear friends, that's another way to translate it, or those whom I love, I, this is big too, I beg you, I'm pleading with you on this next point. We should really pay attention to that point, right? I mean, if Peter is, is close to begging these people to do, to listen to what he says next, then it, then it just makes sense that you and I, who, who should have a high respect for Peter as, as the, the first leader of the church, as a guy that hung out with Jesus, as a guy who gave his life for Jesus, it seems that we should pay close attention to. And he says, look, I, I, I beg you as those whom I love, that you as foreigners and exiles, now he's already used one of these terms in, in verse 17, chapter one, verse 17. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Last week, what we mainly talked about was, was we have a choice. You can be citizens of heaven or you can be citizens of earth. If you choose to be a citizen of heaven, it comes with all the benefits of God's promises and God's love and God's uh, future in heaven, the peace, the joy, the hope, all of that stuff. Or you can be a citizen of earth, which is just everything that you already know. You're just clean and puke, right? Uh, and, and, and these are the choices that the Bible seems to say. We are born citizens of earth, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins, he, he offered us forgiveness for those sins, a relationship with God, and, and ultimately he offered us citizenship into the heavenly kingdom. And what's cool about being a citizen of heaven is it's, it's the same as being a child of God. And last week I said that, you know, everybody likes to say, well, I'm a child of God or God loves me because I'm one of his children or things like that. But what the Bible says is we're actually enemies of God until we give our lives to Jesus by believing in what he did on the cross. And when we do that, it's as if God adopts us into his family and then Romans 8 tells us we can look at him and we can cry out, Father. That's a big deal. What we read last week was Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 which says, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. It's really cool to be a part of the family 
of God and, and again, belonging to the family of God is not the same as knowing about the family of God. It's not the same as being near to the family of God. It's not the same as growing up in a family of people who are part of the family of God. And I think that sometimes we, like the first century people, thought that a relationship with God was something that was cultural to you. Like I was born into this family, I grew up Catholic. People say that in our, our world today, right? Oh, I grew up Catholic. No, but what do you believe? Oh, I grew up Catholic. It's like those things are not important because until we belong to the family of God, we are simply citizens of earth. But through Jesus, we can be citizens of heaven. And as citizens, what we saw Paul say in Ephesians is, is we are all bricks. He switched metaphors. We're all bricks in the house of God. And it's our job to show people what God is like, who God is. But Peter, leading up to this passage, after verse 17, where he uses this word for the first time, and and leading up to what we see in, in verse 11, he goes into greater detail about how great it is to be a citizen of heaven. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal, excuse me, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says the same thing that Paul says. As Christians, you are now the spiritual house of God. But then in verses 9 and 10, he elaborates further on this. And it's, it's awesome. If you're paying attention to what this says about belonging to the family of God, about being a citizen of heaven, it's, it's frankly a life-changing verse. He says, but you are, notice this, chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's so cool, isn't it? Just did you notice the words? I mean, he said chosen. I want to do something. This is different than when I normally preach. Will you say chosen? Chosen. Some of you. (laughs) And then he says we're royal. Will you say royal? royal? He says we're holy. Will you say that? And then he says we're special. I like this. Is he going to ask us to do it? That was good. Uh, Chosen, royal, holy, and special. What incredible words to describe what it means to be a citizen of heaven. What we gain. Don't we all want that? We want to know we're chosen. We want to know we're royal in some way or we wish we were royal. My daughter's greatest ambition, she gets mad if I say anything else, is to be a a pink princess when she grows up with a backpack. There's something about royalty, right? We like that idea, and that's what we are because we become a child to the king. And we are special, man. I know that so many of you don't feel special at all. You feel anything but special. And, And here, Peter's saying, if you're part of the kingdom of God, if you're a citizen of heaven, you are special. And you're holy. You're cleansed of your sin. You're set apart for something else. These are incredible terms. And and it's easy. It's easy in the day-to-day life when you're just going through the motions, when you're stuck in a rut, when, when 
you know, you got to take care of all the responsibilities that you got to take care of. Work takes at least 40 hours of your week, probably more for most of you. And, and you just got to, you just got to get by. It's really easy to forget that you are chosen, royal, holy, special. And this morning, as we go into this, the next passage, I, I just, it's important that you believe that. And if you're not a Christian, I hate to tell you, I mean, you were created in the image of God and that gives you worth and value, but you're not holy and you're not royal and, and you're frankly living a purposeless life. I mean, you may do great things for humanity. I'm not dismissing that or discrediting that, but, but when those people that you help die, it's not going to matter. But when we are invited into the family of God and accept it, it changes, it changes who we are, does. And when we understand that, it changes how we interact with the culture around us. Uh, I said last week that, or two weeks ago and last week, I mean, the, the reason for this series, the reason I thought it was important to do this here talk about sojourning on earth, being a citizen of heaven and not earth, is because of, of the cultural shifts we see all around us. And I've, I've said in this series, like, it seems like people, I mean, I don't feel persecuted, but it seems like people just more and more discredit what Christianity is and what it stands for. The average person does not believe the fundamental things that are essential to believing in Christianity. Like, average person at least my age, doesn't really care about the concept of sin. Sin is just, you know, if it's bad for you, it's bad for you, and if it's not, it's not, no big deal. Your truth is your truth. That's really bad when you're trying to tell people Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so we live in this culture that, that has, has moved away from so much of what is foundational to Christianity, and out of that, it seems like more and more people are opposed to Christianity. American culture is in many ways more and more in opposition to what we stand for if we are Christians. This was made clear this week uh, in the Emmys. I, I didn't watch the Emmys, uh, but Michael Che, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I don't know who he is. I'm really terrible about pop culture, so forgive me if I'm saying his name wrong, but, uh, but he said this thing that it's not even that offensive to me anyway. It might be offensive to you, but it's so indicative of the fact that our culture doesn't care about Christianity anymore and is more and more opposed. He says, he said his mom wasn't watching the Emmys, even though he was host, hosting, and, and this is what he said after it. She says she doesn't like watching white award shows because you guys don't thank Jesus enough. That's true. The only white people that thank Jesus are Republicans and ex-crackheads. I mean, can you, can you just imagine saying that about any other group? Just such a blanket, broad, negative statement about any other group of people. It wouldn't fly. And, and what I've said in this series, and, and I need to say it again, is that it seems like most of the Christians that I know have responded in one of two ways that I don't think is biblical. They respond, one, by by just being so angry and making fun of Michael Che and, you know, 
talking about how stupid the Emmys were. I read some of those articles this week and how the ratings were bad. Like, that's really going to stick it to them. Like, oh, well, you make fun of Christians, but your ratings were bad. Michael Che does not care, I'm guessing. And, and that's one side of things. Like, hey, if you're going to hate us, we're going to hate you back. And then on the other side, I know far too many Christians that just embrace culture. And it's like, yeah, I believe this Jesus thing, but sure, their truth is their truth. And sure, their morality is their morality. And if I feel like doing it, then I'll do it. Because, and this is, this is just, let me just tell you the buzz term for embracing cultural norms and, and not thinking about Jesus anymore. I don't feel convicted about it anymore. You just say, like, I don't feel convicted. It sounds like a Christian thing to say, doesn't it? Like, I'll do whatever I want because I don't feel convicted. Or God just wants me to be happy. If, if you ever say those words, if you ever think those words, then you're on this side. You're not angry about culture. You've just embraced culture. You're living as a citizen of earth and not as a citizen of heaven. And when I read scripture, I don't see those responses specifically from Jesus, but I don't see those responses from any of Jesus' followers. They don't seem so upset at culture. They're not making fun of culture and they definitely don't embrace it. And there has to be something different. In this series, we've seen first, you just have to think of yourself as a citizen of heaven. And second, what I said last week to end the sermon, and maybe I didn't give it enough time, but I said, if your life doesn't align with Jesus and his interactions with culture, then you're not doing it right. If you read the story of Jesus, how he handled the Roman soldiers and people that were opposed to Judaism and him, and it doesn't look like Jesus, you're not doing it right. But Peter gets more specific. And I really like it. The first thing he says is abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. All Christians and even non-Christians understand that a part of being a Christian is trying not to do certain things or doing certain things that, that God has told you to do, right? Like that's like what people think of when they think of Christianity. Like, oh, they're just, you know, they don't drink as much as me or whatever it might be. And so we all, I think every one of us has this understanding that that, that as Christians, we ought to be avoiding certain things that God has told us to avoid or doing certain things that God has told us to do. Uh, things like Galatians five nineteen through 21, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Most people say, like, eh, as Christians, we should avoid those things. But Peter takes it a, a step further. And what Peter says here is not only should we avoid these sins, we should avoid a desire for these sins. Abstain from sinful desires. That's interesting, right? That's another level. That's not something we think about or usually care about. We're like, I'm going to avoid the sin but it's okay if I really want to do it. I'm going to avoid cheating on my spouse because I'm a Christian, but I really want to, and I'm okay with that. I'm going to avoid being drunk, but I really would like to be drunk. I'm going to avoid flipping that guy off on the freeway, but I really want to flip that guy off on the freeway. Might have happened to me this week. <laughs> I gave him the thumbs up instead. 
learned that from my brother-in-law. <laughs> Not sure he was happier about that. I don't know if you want to do witchcraft, but I don't want to have selfish desires, but I really want my ambition, you know? And what Peter says here is not that we should just avoid sin, but that we should avoid a desire for sin. On this side of people, on this side of the things, you have people that just are embracing culture. And Peter says, look, look, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. If culture doesn't align with Christianity, then you shouldn't even want to be like culture. I'm not even saying just avoid doing the things. I'm saying you shouldn't want that. In fact, fight, strive, work to avoid wanting what culture says you should want that is against what Christianity has declared as good and bad. And then, I mean, Peter like says, hey, I'd, I'd like you to know why this is such a big deal. It's because they, the sinful desires are, in fact, waging war against your soul. John MacArthur says that this word implies a relentless, malicious aggression. I'll tell you, people that, that leave Christianity, and I know we have very different viewpoints on, on what that means theologically, but, but for the sake of, of just the point of this passage, we, we can all say we know people who have left Christianity. Whatever happened in that transaction, they've left Christianity. They no longer follow Jesus, and at one point they did or they said they did anyway. And you hardly ever find a person who has left Christianity that says, I just stopped believing that stuff. You, you hardly ever find a person who woke up one day and said, ah, I don't want to deal with this anymore. What you almost always find is a person who wanted something sinful and they wanted it long enough that they gave in and they started committing the sin and over time as they committed the sin more and more, they rejected the God who told them it was sinful in the first place. That is how it almost always goes. Now they may say, in fact, they do, they do. What happens is that this is, they take this line, they give up on Jesus, and then they get on Google and they find a bunch of reasons that they shouldn't be Christians. Because it's really bad sounding when you go, yeah, I totally believe in that whole God thing and that Jesus died for my sins, but I really wanted to have an affair. <laughs> you sound like an idiot. And nobody likes to sound stupid, right? It doesn't, that sounds bad. I believe that God gave his life for me, but I don't care. These sinful desires are waging war against you as an individual and they're waging war against our churches and they're waging war against our culture. And what we've done is we've minimized that truth. In an, in an effort to be more sensitive to, to people outside of Christianity, we've made light of sin. We've told people, as long as you don't go too far, or it's probably not that big a deal, or we just haven't talked about it at all, because we don't want to sound offensive, we don't want to sound countercultural in hopes that people will show up to our churches. And Peter says, these things are waging war against your souls, and aren't we watching that happen? They're waging war war against people's souls. When you hear of a pastor that is 
left his wife and slept with prostitutes or whatever you hear? Do you even, do you even for a second go, wow, that's surprising? You go, oh, obviously. Happens all the time. Of course he did. And Peter looks at these people and says, my beloved, I beg you. I beg you to avoid even wanting sinful desires because they are trying to destroy your soul. I mean, Jesus says it. Jesus says like, don't fear the one who can kill your body, but, but fear the one who can, can destroy your soul, who can send you to hell. And he follows that up with like, if your right eye causes you to st- sin, then gouge it out. And, and I think he's being hyperbolic, and so don't go home and gouge your eye out. But Jesus is not taking sin lightly, right? There's a reason for hyperbole. And it's not so that we ignore it, it's so we go, wow, what things must I do in order to stay far away from the desire for sin? In 1 Timothy 6.12, I mean, Paul talks about the Christian life. He says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. In Ephesians 6.12, he reminds us that the fight is not against the people that make up culture. I repeat that. The fight is not against the people that make up culture. And we get that so backwards as Christians. We think the fight is against Democrats or Republicans or our family members or the person who doesn't like us at work because they're not, because we're Christians and they're not. But in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Man, so many of you are are just not worried about this fight. So a couple weeks ago, I was playing basketball again with my brother-in-law who taught me the thumbs up. Um, And uh, funny enough, as we drove up to this gym to play in this league, I say to my, Drew, I say to him, this is the kind of gym where people get in fights and it ends up on YouTube. And I had no idea I was being prophetic. there's no YouTube video about this, uh, not sadly, because I saved a life. Um, so in the middle of the game, everything's going fine. There's no tension. And you can usually, I don't know if you're an athlete or not, you can usually feel these things building, like it's getting a little chippy. Somebody hit somebody with an elbow. I've played a lot of pickup basketball in my life. That's what I spent my high school days doing. And you can usually feel it coming. But this just, all of a sudden, uh, these two people started to get into it, and it came out of nowhere. And so, this is not an exaggeration. One of them was six foot seven, and one of them was five foot seven. Okay, you with me? Six foot seven, five foot seven. And and now look, I don't know the five foot seven guy. He may know jujitsu. He may be an ultimate fighter. He may have won. Th- uh, gold medal in wrestling or boxing, I don't know. He may be able to kill you with one finger. So this is not a judgment on his fighting ability. It's only an illustration. But he will not back down from this six foot seven guy. And you can imagine what the rest of us are thinking. Like, just go the other direction. You're going to die. I mean, I, I, I mean, just stop and go the other way. And he just kept going. They're yelling about going to the parking lot. They were separated. They started to come back together. That's when I stepped in and put my body right in the front of of the six foot seven guy and knocked him out. 
No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I just stood there and hope. I thought in my head, I guess he's going to have to punch both of us. Um, that was all I was thinking. Um, but that's how we act. I'm not to make the six foot seven guy sin and the other guy us, but, but, but that's what we're up against. And, and we treat it like it's not a big deal. I mean, he didn't even fight, but just the fact that he wanted to was dangerous, right? I mean, that's how you end up in the hospital. And, and this is how we interact with sin. We're like, well, I'm, I'm just gonna not do it, but I'm gonna really want to. Uh, I mean, like, I won't look at pornography, but I'll get on my computer and really want to, and then, you know, probably won't, but maybe I will. Or I really, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have an affair, but I'll just hang out with this girl once. And I, I mean, I, you know, she's cute, but not that big a deal. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, but man, it'd be so much easier if I did. Maybe I should, just a little one? Like, is that cool? I mean, and, and Peter's saying like, this is a six foot seven opponent and you're a five foot seven guy and you don't know jujitsu. So just stop wanting it. Stop standing across saying, I'll meet you outside in the parking lot because it's going to destroy your soul. And as citizens, the, the first thing Peter says, and he has one more, the first thing Peter says is like, be a person who, who does your best to abstain from even wanting, wanting to sin, to give in to culture's ways. And the next verse, he says this other, so important, these are both so important. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. The early Christians were a really uh, misunderstood group. The English Standard Version of this, uh, of the Bible uh, that translates this this way, uh, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, isn't that weird that the early Christians, they were seen as evildoers and there's some reasons for that. It's because primarily they were so countercultural. Um, they were accused of being rebels against government um, and that's because in large part they opposed slavery or at least they saw slavery different. They saw slave and slave owner as brothers. I mean, that's, that's different, right? And that, that tears at the fabric of slavery itself. And, and uh, they saw them as hurting the economy. They saw them as cannibalistic because they talked about eating the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, they saw them as incestuous because they would marry their brothers and sisters. You know how we use that language, brothers and sisters in the church? I, something I really like. If you ever want to call me brother, that's one part of Christian culture and usually I'm like let's not use Christianese but if you want to call me brother ever I'm I like that part um side note I just think that's cool when people are like, what's up brother but like not in like the you know like that more like brother harms like that uh, anyway um and they even saw him as atheistic but now everybody's gonna do it um they even saw them as atheistic because they didn't worship the emperors I mean it's, it's pretty bad criticisms right and today we face some of these these same kind of criticisms that usually are not founded. Uh, they're all hypocrites. You ever heard that before? All Christians are hypocrites. They hate gay people. I actually had, um, for reasons I cannot share, but I had uh, somebody that is gay reach out to me on Facebook the other day in Messengers, a person that I, I do not know. And, um, and, and what I, at the end of the conversation, I, I said, I said, honestly, and, and the conversation led here, I'm surprised you reached out to me because you know I'm a pastor 
and we have this reputation as Christians uh, for for hating gay people. And then I say, which is not true, but, but it's weird you reached out to me. And then they explained why. But, but I hate that I have to overcome that, right? Like this is a part of our culture. Um, churches just want my money. I mean, that's something you hear, right? Uh, they're trying to shove their religion down my throat. And then, and then this one, this is just, this is one of the epidemics of our day. The Huffington Post speaking of taking children away from their families, like at the border, uh, said, Christians in America, especially evangelicals, okay, and this us as this church, we're an evangelical church, have supported all of these actions and many others that contradict the teachings of Christ, cutting food stamps, lying, and degenerating the poor and helpless in society. Do you love being known for that? I just sit at the supermarket and try to grab people's food stamps, throw them in the trash, you know? I mean, that's the picture that they're giving us. <laughs> Isn't that in, like, and this is, I, and I know some of you, and I think it's people in, in the generation above mine and, and then the one above that, it's really hard for us to grasp how we're viewed by the average person today. Uh, you grew up in, a, in Christendom, which means a culture pretty much dictated by Christianity. I haven't as much, um, and people younger than me, they just assume everybody dislikes the Christian things that they stand for. And here's Peter's solution. He's saying, look, you're a citizen of heaven, and the citizens of earth are looking at you, and they think that you're evildoers. They're not just being rude. They really believe that. I've told you about a conversation with a friend once where, where she and I were talking about spiritual things. I was trying to lead her to Jesus and she looked at me and she, this person likes me quite a bit. This person is, would, said like, hey, I'd like to come to church to see your kids recently. And she looked at me in this conversation and said, you hate gay people, right? Just like that. Like not mad about it, just as, like that's the assumption. No, I don't, I don't. But this is how they view us, and here's Peter's solution. It's not to embrace culture, and it's not to be mad at everybody because they don't see us accurately. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. His solution is live such good lives. Good lives translates a word that I learned as good or beautiful when I was in school taking Greek. I think that beautiful is a better translation here. Live such beautiful lives. Live such beautiful, that's it. That's his solution. Live such beautiful lives that they may see your good works and, and here's what's at stake, by the way, they may glorify God on the day of visitation. Visitation is a term in the New Testament that usually, usually refers to blessing or redemption. What he is saying is live such beautiful lives that when God calls these people, they choose to accept him and become Christians. Or, depending on your theology, live such beautiful lives that they choose to follow Jesus. Wow. That's a ton of pressure. Jesus uses the same word visitation in Luke 19.44 and it shows us that sometimes it doesn't work but, it, but it's still important. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another 
They're going to, you're going to be punished. You Jewish people are going to be punished because you did not recognize the day of God's coming to you or visitation, same word. Peter puts this incredible, frankly, pressure on us. He says, look, the unbelieving world, citizens of earth are watching you. And that is true whether we wanna believe it or not. People are looking at you when they know you're Christians and they are wondering if you will be the reason they should give their lives to Jesus or the excuse to not give their lives to Jesus. And Peter says, they think pretty badly of you. They think you're evildoers. Here's how you respond. You don't yell, you don't scream, you don't post on Facebook. You live such incredibly beautiful lives that when God calls them, they say yes. Many of us have that moment, don't we, in our history, and, and this gets into some theological things that I don't have time for today, but, but if you could look back on your life if you're a Christian, like the moment you became a Christian, it was like, I mean, it was. It was God, God calling you, right? And you said yes. You said, yeah, God, I'll accept you. I'll repent of my sins. I will embrace you as my Lord and Savior. You said yes. And Peter's connecting, whether we like it or not, us living such beautiful lives to people saying yes when God shows up and says, hey, this is your moment. I listened to a tape when I was four years old and chose to accept Jesus as my savior. But what if I would have had a bunch of people in my life that called themselves Christians and were jerks? Would I have said yes? Because most people I know that grew up in the church, that grew up at least claiming to love Jesus and don't anymore, their reason is that they saw a whole bunch of other people who didn't live for Jesus. That's the reason they'll give you. So Peter, I mean like the giving in a sin is the reason you'll give up your faith, but when you do, if you're flirting with sin, the reason you'll give is, hey, those, those, those Christians are all hypocrites. And this isn't just avoid sin because he's already said that, right? This is living an incredibly beautiful life. I, I was reminded of, of my friend Emil. Emil is a Christian, um, but uh, he, is, uh, he is Iraqi and Iranian by race and Russian. Those are his three nationalities. Uh, grew up Canadian, uh, just became a citizen not too long ago. He actually pushed it off for a long time. He just kept, he's married, and so he just kept doing whatever the process was to stay in the U.S. while he was married, but eventually it got to be too much, and he finally gave in and became a citizen. But Emil lived in a very bad part of L.A. when the Twin Towers were bombed. And Emil looks like he's from the Middle East. There's no way around it. And he told me once, he said, like, we weren't Americans, but we, we put an American flag on our car. There was a ton of pressure for him as a great guy. I mean, he's a great man. Uh, but there was a ton of pressure for him, not just to be okay, but to show everybody around him that he was going to live a beautiful life, that he was not a threat to them. And I think that illustrates perfectly what, what we are as Christians. 
People were looking at Emil and thinking, this guy is a terrorist. He's not. People look at us as Christians and say, these people are evil. They, they are a threat to what we believe. They are a threat to justice and they are a threat to uh, people being treated fairly. They are a threat to love. They are a threat. And Peter says, don't stand up and go, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. You're the threat. It's you and your cultural shifts that are threatening me. But instead to live so beautifully that when God calls these people's names, they say yes. Wayne Grudem says, Christians living in an unbelieving society must avoid sinful desires and continually maintain exemplary patterns of life so that unbelievers will be saved and God glorified. There is no reason to doubt that such a strategy for evangelism would still work today. And here's what, it is working, it is working. North Korea has been on like number one on the list of, of hardest places to be a Christian for two of the last three years or something like that. And yet Christianity is growing in North Korea. And it's not because anybody is standing up on the street corner or preaching on a Sunday and saying, accept Jesus as your savior because they can't, they can't. They're living such beautiful lives that people around them are going, this is better than any citizenship to, to North Korea or Earth. I want what you have. I mean, it's estimated that there are 70,000 Christian prisoners in concentra- concentration camps in North Korea. And that 75% will not survive. They'll never come out. And yet Christianity is growing Somewhere online said it this way, despite efforts to eradicate Christians, we have found that the church in North Korea is actually growing. And I saw a North Korean, I saw somebody say they had just met with a North Korean leader. They preach and practice through their actions rather than traditional ways. What if we did that in America? What if we did that? I'm gonna pray that you will. And and, uh, will you bow your heads? Will you close your eyes? And I'm actually gonna ask for, for some hands today, and we don't always do this, we don't hardly ever do this uh, at our church, but as your heads are bowed this morning, I think this is an important sermon for you to make a commitment, and so I'm gonna ask if you fall into one of two categories today for you to put your hand up when I ask in just a minute. If you are a person who has been flirting with sin, uh, wants to sin, is giving in to sin, has embraced cultural ways that are anti-Christian, that are against the teachings of Jesus and God through the Bible. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up. And then if you're a person who's just been living a regular life but not trying to live beautifully, and this morning you wanna commit to trying to live a beautiful life uh, in a culture that is looking at us, Uh, then I want you to put your hand up too. And and when you put your hand up, what you're committing to this morning is to say, I'm gonna make a change. Don't just put your hand up because you say I'm bad. But put your hand up if, if you're saying, I have lived flirting with sin or I have lived an unbeautiful life in the midst of a watching world. Would you put your hands up if you fall into one of those two categories? Let me pray for you. God, we all uh, as Christians can get caught up into just being regular and, and this passage says as citizens of your kingdom we, we, we have a much greater responsibility than that. 
And this morning, God, what I first want to pray is for these people who have put their hands up, and I don't know which category they fall into, God. Um, but I'll pray for both, I guess. I, I pray, Jesus, for those who, who are walking the line of sin, who are embracing the idea of sin, or who are just sinning, God. And I pray, as I sometimes do, God, that you would, we sing this, God, break every chain in their lives. And God, they would not, as a youth pastor said it to me once, they would not try to get as close to the line of sin as they can, but they would get as far from sin as they can. Because God, and, and what Peter says just to, at the end of the chapter two is, is because they wanna, they wanna live up to the, the standard of you or at least aim for the standard that is you. Be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. That's what you say to us, Lord. And so I pray that you would break the chains in their lives and that you change their minds and their hearts and help them to hate sin because they know that sin is trying to, to conquer them, God. And I pray, God, for, for those who are just not living beautifully. Maybe there's no sin they're embracing. Maybe, maybe it's just that they're going to work and they're, they look like everybody else. I pray, God, that you would help them to find ways that they can beautify their lives, that they can that they can show the world that this is real, that being a citizen of heaven is vastly different than being a citizen of earth. God, it takes your Holy Spirit daily just moving in us that are Christians for that to happen. And the other thing I wanna pray, God, is that people would give their lives to you, Jesus, in response to this sermon, in response to our lives. I look at our world and I see the shrinking percentage of people that call themselves Christians and I can't help but think it's not, it's not because of science. It's not because people are enlightened in some ways. It's because we have not paid attention to, to what you say in First Peter 2 and we have flirted with sin. We've been okay with sin. We've treated sin like a walk in the park and not a war. And God, we have not strived to live beautifully We've lived regularly. And I pray that you would change that in the American Christian culture in order that we may glorify you, God, but in order that others may glorify you when you visit them, Lord. I pray these.